Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 314 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. So thrilled that you are here with me today as we are speaking with Vanessa Hua. And it was a delight to talk to her. We're talk- going to talk about moving the body as part of our writing practice. And we're going to talk about foraging and reverse outlining and letting the subconscious do the work. So please stick around for that. You won't have to wait long because this is the quickest opener ever uh, because I, in about one hour, I'm going to leave for Romance Writers of New Zealand, where I am a keynote and I'm super, super nervous and very excited. This is my first time out in the world uh, since the pandemic. So I'm not used to wearing fancy clothes. I'm not used to putting on makeup every day. Well, actually, I always put on my lipstick. But um, so it's going to be awesome. I have the, I've been working on this speech. I'm actually thinking about perhaps sharing the speech with you. I don't know how if that's cool or not. But I'll, check, I'll check with the organizer. But um, they wanted to know about my journey as a hybrid author. And I found that I didn't really know what I wanted to say until I suddenly knew what I wanted to say. And I said it in the speech anyway. I haven't I haven't given the speech yet, but y'all, the speech is 7,500 words long. I have to fill 45 minutes and I speak very quickly. So that was a lot of space. And yeah, so perhaps I will do that as like a little bonus or a long bonus episode coming up here pretty soon. Um, yes. So this is just to say hi. Hi and bye. The drive-by update. And now I'm going to give Vanessa's bio and then I'm going to post this podcast and then I'm going to go do the conference. And when you hear this, I will be there. And I'm so excited and grateful. Okay. Here we go. Vanessa Wa is a columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle and the author of the novel, A River of Stars and a Story Collection, Deceit and Other Possibilities. A National Endowment for the Arts Literature Fellow, she has also received a Rona Jaffe Foundation Writers Award, the Asian Pacific American Award for Literature, and a Steinbeck Fellowship in Creative Writing, as well as awards from the Society of Professional Journalists, among others. She has filed stories from China, Burma, South Korea, and elsewhere, and her work has appeared in such publications as the New York Times and the Washington Post. She now lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with her family, and Forbidden City is her newest novel. Please enjoy this awesome conversation with Vanessa and get some of your own writing done and then come tell me about it. Happy writing, everybody. Well, I am so excited that you are on the show today. Will you please share your name with us and your pronouns? I'm Vanessa Hua, and I am she, her. Thank you so much. Welcome to the show, and congratulations on the recent release of Forbidden City, which just came out a couple weeks ago. Well, actually, because of supply chain issues, it the pub date was twice delayed, and it's now coming out May 10th. Oh, you're kidding. Okay, well, this show will go out after that, so when people listen, it will yes. be out. How frustrating that must be. Yeah, it's been a bit of a roller coaster. Um, but yesterday when the UPS man arrived with my author copies, I said, can I take your picture? <laughs> because I don't know, when you publish a book, you realize how many people, what a group effort it takes yeah. to 
you know, it starts with me, but then my agent, my editor, the writing group, everyone, um, it's kind of humbling to think about how many hands may touch a book before it arrives on my shelf and, and certainly on reader shelves. Isn't that absolutely amazing? And the first time you touch your book, this, this new baby, it's, it's made real. It's not just the words in your head. It went through everybody else, all of those hands. And now it's in your hands. And I think that that's absolutely gorgeous. Yes. I would love to talk to you about, and I'm sure that you get this question a lot, but how do you do it? Because you are a columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle. You have twins, according to your bio, yes. and you're writing books, multiple books. How do you, where do you, how do you get it all done? So it's not orderly at all. I think <laughs> it can really change from day to day, especially during this run up to, to publication. Today, I this morning, I was in Chinatown getting my photo taken for a story then I dashed back um, to work on a student packet. I'm a, uh, I also teach creative yes, writing. Yes, you also teach. Yes. Yes. So, and then I had to answer a question about a story I'm doing. Um, and, uh, you know, I met, you know, on the other hand, um, when I had a bit of a lull in between things last week, I was, or maybe was it two weeks ago, I was able to work on my next project. And it was super exciting and it made me so happy. Um, but, but to answer your question, um, I think there's a, it's not so much a rigid routine because I don't know what my life will look like day to day, but I think something that I always hold to be true is to make the most of the time that I do have. And by that, I mean, first figuring out what my hours of power are, I'm a morning person, not a, not a night owl. And so I try to do the work that means the most to me in when I'm at my best creatively. Um, I also, under that banner of making the most of the time I do have, I have a PDF to voice app where I will uh, upload my work in progress or student work or anything that I need to be immersing myself in. And I'll listen to it when I go for a walk or commuting or whatever, I mean, whatever time I do have. Um, I was reading an interview today with author Vohini Vara, who's a wonderful journalist, has a new novel coming out uh, in May as well. And she talked about working full time and some years she wrote nothing. Some years, others, she, she wrote more or she wrote on the weekends or in between pickup or um, wherever she could find it. And so, especially during the pandemic, it was a matter of you know, first there were, you know, base survival. How do I keep everyone safe and, and healthy and happy? Um, but then again, taking, you know, finding the time for it. So I'll never, it's rare when you have those uh, oceans of time in which you can, I'm no, I'm no longer in my twenties in grad school, right? I have many more responsibilities. So um, it's, it's just about making, uh, again, the most of the time that you have. I, I think we can't hear this enough that, that I think all of us do long for the writer's retreat out on the coast where there's nothing available to you, but writing, but that is just not the reality. And we have to fit our writing into those pockets of life. The, yeah, the interstitial, yeah. the interstitial. The, exactly. What did Toni Morrison say on the edges of the day, you know, where, where, where it fits in. Um, I would love to pick your brain for just a second on a question that was not on the list, but I hear this a lot from students who have been journalists. Um, and I sometimes I think that having been a journalist and or slash a scientist and then going into 
fiction writing can, it's not necessarily a hindrance, but it can definitely um, confuse people. How do you make that switch in your brain from going from the journalism brain to the fiction writing brain? What does that feel like? Well, I'll share a story from grad school when I was getting my MFA. By then, I had a career for, for years as a journalist, um, and I brought in a draft of, of what would become Forbidden City, my novel coming out. Oh. And I remember the professor said, this is reportage. And he did not mean that in a complimentary way. <laughs> and I felt like leaping up out of my seat and saying, democracy dies in darkness. <laughs> but I actually came to understand what he was getting at. Um, with science, with journalism, you're supposed to approach with neutrality. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas fiction, the best fiction, has a sense of consciousness, not social consciousness, I mean, uh, although certainly your character might have that, but just a very unique view of the world. Um, Your character, it can't feel like a lens panning over a crowd. It has to be whatever your character might be noticing or or thinking about. Um, And so, you know, it is interesting. I think there are many who do both or who, who make a switch. And that is something that I had to learn how to do, achieving a sense of voice, um, I don't know, a filtered perspective, let's say. Um, on the other hand, I do think that being a journalist has helped me in my fiction writing, um, not only from my ability to do research, but just getting in the habit of uh, writing on deadline, um, writing daily when I can, um, and, and being open to edits, uh, just mm-hmm. knowing that the first draft is not the last draft. Likewise, I think being a fiction writer helps my journalism because I'm more likely to think about narrative arc, character setting in ways that I didn't when I was initially starting out. I think if you look at my college uh, articles, they look like court transcripts. It's a series of quotes and then it ends. And now you have all of those superpowers kind of blended together into yourself. What a, what a wonderful set of tools to be able to choose from on a daily basis that you have. Thank you for that. What is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? Probably distractions. I think as a mother of twins, they're 10 and a half. Uh, We also live with my elderly mother. Um, I have many different work responsibilities. It always feels like a pot is boiling on the edge of boiling over. So, um, and I I think there's been studies that every time you switch between a task, your, your productivity goes down. So, um, I think for me, what can help is laying out a to-do list and a to don't or or to did Mm -hmm. list at the end of the day, where I kind of reflect upon what I actually did do. And, um, there's a friends, Nicole Chung has, has talked about this idea of parking downhill, meaning, you know, saving something that you can easily pick up the next day so that you can have that lift off uh, when you begin. I love that concept, the the parking downhill. Nicole Chung is fabulous, and I, but I hadn't yes. heard that one. Um, I, I like, I, I call it, and I, I took this from a student. This is not my idea, but uh, I have my to-do list and I have my ta-da list, which right. is what I put on all of the things that I have done. And it really is- Oh, a- I was calling it to did, but I prefer to dot. Ta-da. ta-da. Exactly. <laughs> There you go. (laughs) Um, What about your biggest joy in writing? When somehow my consciousness delivers up something that was the answer all along, the call coming from inside the house that 
so perfectly uh, fits the, the narrative or the scene, but I never could have predicted it uh, from the outset when I, you know, on page one, it, it honestly feels like magic, but I also know it's just part of the process that you're getting to know this character, figuring things out. Um, and that often those ideas don't come when you're sitting in front of the computer. It's when I'm swimming, when I'm going for a walk, when I'm away from sort of the, the page staring at me and allowing the subconsciousness to, to bubble up. And, and learning, and I know this takes a while, but learning to trust that it will. That's one of the, yeah, that's, that's, one that's, of, that's hard. That's, that's a challenge. It's, you're saying like, I don't know what's going to happen or how, but right. I, I'll, I'll, something will come to me. Right. Right. Exactly. My brain always wants to say, no, not this time that it's always happened in the past, but not, it's not going to happen this time. Right, but it always, right. it always does. Yes. Can you share, oh, actually, before I ask you about the craft tip that you share, I just must mention most people listen on the podcast, but a few people watch it on the YouTube and you have Keanu, a uh, Keanu <laughs> pillow on your, on your bookcase. Can you please tell me about that? Because it is divine. Definitely. So during the pandemic, um, I have two, uh, two Asian American writer friends, uh, Amy Fon and Beth Lynn, and we sort of took turns sending each other surprises. And this was one round that uh, this was a <laughs> gift I received. I think it is absolutely perfect. Thank you for, um, well, he, he is there. part, yeah, he, he, Keanu is part Chinese. So we, we claim him. Oh my goodness. I just saw the new toy story where he plays the Canadian daredevil. And he was, he was amazing. And as usual, I had no idea. I'll have to check that out. You, you will enjoy it. Your kids are probably just the right age. My wife is not the right age, but it was still fun. Um, <laughs> can you share a craft tip of any sort with us? So, although I just sort of waxed rhapsodic about the subconsciousness bubbling up, um, and I do actually recommend physical activity as a, as a practice, as part of the writing practice that counts too. Um, I also love reverse outlining, which is to say, I write my draft and then afterwards I do a scene by scene breakdown. You know, what are the characters? What's at stake? And that's when I begin to realize like this thread accidentally somehow got dropped or this character never showed up again or, um, you know, how can I recast this? And so I let my subconsciousness guide the early draft. And then when I look back on it, I, I use the other brain, side of my brain to, to analytically try and figure out how to, how to, how to uh, address a different issue. Um, and, oh, another thing I love doing is just advising uh, people or for myself to do a timeline uh, for mm. uh, their character. So even though not all of it, most of it won't appear, um, say, for example, with A River of Stars, my, my first novel, I realized she'd been born under the one child policy in China. Mm. And that completely helped me understand why she was so ambivalent towards motherhood. So again, if I hadn't sat there and, and charted it out, um, I mean, it's a matter of like realizing that your character, how they were shaped by 9-11, how they were shaped, how old were they when they were shaped by the pandemic, all these things can be crucial, even if it's not set in that time period. So what I'm hearing is being sub, uh, using that subconscious motivation to move you through a draft, but then really putting the critical lens 
and asking questions about what you have afterwards as yes. regards time and what is in the book. I love the reverse outline myself. That <laughs> is when I start to finally understand what my book is. Um, yes. I wish I could, I wish I could understand ahead of time and I, and I just can't and that's okay. It's, it's, it's when you uh, put on your x-ray vision. So yes, the x-ray vision, that's perfect. I also really liked what you said about exercise being, or movement being part of the writing practice. I believe that, but I don't think I've ever thought about it so clearly and succinctly. And later when I make myself go out on my hike up, up the hill, I'm going to tell myself this is writing work. It is. I'm serious. I will. You know, I, I absolutely, I believe in swimming. I'm a big swimmer. Um, but, the, but the hiking, which is something I'm trying to add, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Thank you. When you are doing your, your motion, um, do you listen to things or are you really thinking about what you're writing? Well, I do have I know, a friend who listens yeah. to audiobooks while she's swimming, but I, I have, I am not so, um, technologically advanced. I, I have music when I swim. I figured, I figured that one out. I cannot figure oh, out an okay. audiobook, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'd say generally no. Um, but, but then because it's already, my mind's already engaged with the environment that's around me. And that's, yeah. that's what lets me, I don't know. That's when the breakthroughs come. Yeah. Because you're not actually thinking about it, about yes. the work in that moment. <laughs> yes. Exactly. I'm also a believer in the fact that if you're not feeling well, if you feel gross, like that you just sat there all day and sitting supposed to be the new smoking, um, you're just not going to be at your best creatively. Thank you for that reminder, which we all need. Speaking <laughs> as a person who was like at my desk for eight hours without like moving yesterday, yeah. did not feel good. Um, what thing in your life affects your writing in a surprising way? Well, I think before I became a mother, I was very concerned about my identity. Would I ever finish a book? Now that I am a mother, I'm very cognizant of the responsibilities I have. You know, even right now, I'm not with them <laughs> that yeah. because I'm in this conversation. Um, but I, I, I have seen studies that that uh, about boys whose mothers work and how that makes make them become more equitable partners at, uh, when they grow up in, in terms of doing chores and housework. Um, but I, I think though I wanted to be a mother, I don't think I realized how much it would affect my writing practice or way I see the world, just seeing everything new for the first time, understanding I was there the first time it started raining and their confusion and wonder or, um, or the way they use language. We were in REI, they were much younger, and they referred to the kayaks as rocket ships. And they looked, I mean, I think yeah. children are naturally poets. Yeah. And then we grow up and we learn the proper names of things. And so it's as, as creative writers, as a fiction writer, it's finding uh, my way back to that sense of play and, and creativity that my kids reminded me that I once so naturally and openly had. That's a gorgeous way to look at it. What advice would you give to the, to the parent right now who is struggling to get her writing done? Well, I, uh, I compare it to learning to walk again, let's say watching yeah. at first when your kid, your kid's just trying to figure out how to roll over, then they're learning how to crawl and their face is mashed in the carpet and their butts in the air. But <laughs> Over time, then they're sitting up, then they're cruising, you know, holding on to something, then they're walking, then they're running. And 
Um, it can feel very slow and frustrating and that you're not making progress at all. But, but I would just say you, you are, um, you may not see it in the moment. You're just trying to survive in the moment, but, uh, incremental progress is still progress. Mm -hmm. Oh, truer words. Thank you for that. What is the best book that you've read recently? see, I made sure I, it's funny. Whenever I get asked this question, suddenly my mind goes blank. I go so blank. I, That's I, why I always send the questions in advance. And it is because of that question, because if you asked me that right now, I would have no answer for you. Right. You think <laughs> I've never read a book at all. Um, <laughs> <Exactly>. Not once. <laughs> I have a pair of books that actually go well oh, yes. together. Uh, one is Adrian Kel- Seltz, The End of the World House. And it's about time loops, the set in the Louvre, uh, late stage capitalism, female friendship. Um, she's, been, she's been on the show. She's a, she's a good oh, friend of a she's friend wonderful. and she's beautiful. And I haven't read it yet. I, it's on my list. Yes. Yeah. Well, like her other books, you will read it. There's a moment where you will scream and then you'll reread it to try and figure out how she did it. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, and then another book um, is by Allegra Hyde, Eleutheria. And it is set in the near future, a lot of cl- climate change, uh, near apocalyptic c- collapse. Um, so, and a young heroine who, who goes there and sort of discovers, uh, the, the truth behind her ideals. And I think both books, um, have really gripping, um, female characters and, um, you know, get at some of the questions through a speculative lens that, that are haunting us at present. Thank you. I'm going to read both of those. I'd heard of Eleutheria, but I have, I, it's not on my list, but now it is. Thank you. Can you please um, tell us about Forbidden City and where we can find you as well? Sure. So you can find me at www.vanessahua.com. That's V-A-N-E-S-S-A-H-U-A.com. And Forbidden City is the story of May, a young girl from the village who is selected for a mysterious duty in the capital. And when she arrives, she realizes this is inspired by true events. She's part of a dance troupe of young women who do ballroom dancing with Chairman Mao and other top cotter. And she quickly becomes key to his plans to an unseat arrival. And it was based upon, uh, I was inspired by a photo I saw about a decade and a half ago, Chairman Mao surrounded by these giggling teenage girls. Mm. And I was astonished to learn about this connection to ballroom dancing and further that some of these young women went on to, you know, carry the title confidential clerk or nurse. Um, and they would course uh, handle his correspondence. Um, they would translate his speech when it became garbled. And I just thought it was incredible that these young girls who'd been raised to believe he was a God, they were in suddenly such an intimate relationship with him in his inner circle and trying to understand what that must've been like. And that really was the inspiration for, for this novel. Isn't that marvelous though? You saw a photograph and the photograph made your mind say what, and start filling in those blanks. And 10 and a half years later, the book is in your hand. I just got goosebumps thinking about it. The book is in or your hand. 14 years, in- actually. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So it, this, from, this- I started writing in 2007 and finished it, um, final edits last year in between a lot of life changes in between published yeah. two other books. Um, 
you know, this book Forbidden City came close to selling in 09, but didn't. And so I just, but I couldn't quit it. I just kept returning to it, revising it. Um, and, and honestly, having lived through the Me Too movement, having lived through the pandemic, those events don't appear directly in the novel, yet they shaped who I am as a writer and shaped my understanding of those times in, you know, 1960s China on the eve of the Cultural Revolution. And I'm fully convinced that, although I would have loved to have been published in 2009, I needed all those drafts and all those years to be able to write the book that is out in the world now. And thank you for modeling that fortitude and stubbornness. I think that we have to have as writers, especially when it comes to one of the projects of our hearts, the one that we know we can't quit, even if it's time is not now. You mentioned before we started talking that there was a Wellington Bay Area connection. What was that? What was that? So uh, during the pandemic, and this has actually also helped my writing practice, I became a forager. We were going out on so many hikes with the kids. I, you know, with the help of an app and, you know, other resources, just miners, lettuce, plums, mint, you know, tri-cornered leeks. Um, but I thought I had mapped my neighborhood out completely, but late last fall, I discovered uh, an egg shaped fruit in late winter. And I was astonished. And I took a photo, I put it online and people said, that's a feoa. Oh, it's a, yeah, we, we, they say Fijoa. Yeah. Fee, actually, yes. they say, I always try to pronounce it with like a, a Spanish Mexican accent, but it's actually yeah. Fijoa. Fijoa. Fijoa, yes. Or you found uh, Fijoa in your in your neighborhood? Yes. And then, or I call them pineapple guavas. Um, yes, they and, taste like a pineapple guava. Yeah. And it, uh, or it tastes like a juicy Starburst. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> so does. I, I was, I was um, actually astonished that uh, Fijoas are available commercially um, in New Zealand, right? Or that you could get a soda in the flavor of it, right? Totally. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas uh, my friend is married to someone from New Zealand and she just pines for for them. And so the only way they can get them is they go foraging in Berkeley because they're an ornamental crop in in the U.S., uh, my God, not that in the is way in New Zealand. Hilarious. Yeah. And what we have learned in this first year of living in New Zealand is that Fijoas are analogous to zucchini in the States in which like you have to lock your car. If you don't lock your car, somebody's going to put a box of Fijoas in to your car because everyone has them in the backyard and then everyone is trying to give them away. So there's this big rush of, do you like, okay, here's a box. Literally we got air like dropped on our porch. One, one morning we had a friend text and say, look on your porch. Yeah. And there were probably a hundred there. We, we, we could not get through them. I've been making bread and yes. yeah, that's amazing. And foraging is just so cool and so fun. And what an exciting thing to do with 10 and a half year olds. Yes. Well, at the time they were in the third grade, but they, they are now, they can now recognize miners lettuce. They always are a little suspicious that I'm about to snip and cut and grab. So if you are interested in this, I'll just point you toward, um, a, a, a business in your area called sea forager. And they are a, uh, kind of community supported, uh, sustainable fish fishery. And they're okay. located out near Half Moon Bay, but the owner does these incredible foraging along the coast tours where, oh, okay. you're, where you're eating this and doing that. So that's super fun. That's, that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. I've been getting ads for morel mushroom foraging tours too. So maybe after the rush of the book stuff, I'll, I'll treat myself. Exactly. Yeah. Vanessa, thank you so very, very much for being here and talking about your book and for just showing us what it looks like to be getting it all done in a, in a way that is really beautiful. 
Great. Well, thank that. you so much for your wonderful questions, Rachel. And it was awesome. a pleasure uh, meeting you and being on the show. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends. Mm-hmm.